Hello, and welcome to another podcast brought to you by VCC. I'm your host, Gabrielle, and today I'm so excited to be joined in studio by John Herring, who's actually the Quality Control Director at VCC. And today we're just going to be talking about the importance of pre-construction. So, John, thank you so much for being here with us it's today. good to be here. Absolutely. So, uh, to start off, can you go ahead and just give us your name, your title, and what it is you do within VCC? So, I'm John Herring. I've been the Director of Quality Control at VCC for going on 16 years now. Um, I run our TQM department uh, where we do a lot of pre-installation meetings. Uh, we, we monitor quality on our projects, and that's, that's my role. Wonderful. So speaking of TQM, can you please give us just a brief overview of TQM and its integration into pre-construction and just how that translates into the construction process? So total quality management is, is the process that, that starts with the beginning of a project where we assess the risk of all of our jobs. And we say, you know, where, where did the risks for this job lie? Let's make sure we have a good plan for them that has the architects, the, design, uh, the consultants, the contractors and the manufacturers in agreement with what our plan is. Uh, then basically what we do is we, as we get to the point where that construction is going to start, we bring all those players together. Uh, we make sure that everybody's on the same page and uh, we facilitate pre-installation meetings that talk about how we're going to build things and the order we're going to build things, who's responsible for what, so that it's all black and white and responsibilities are laid out. There's no gaps. There's no missing pieces or bad details or bad plans that just aren't going to work well. Um, and then the back end of that is basically making sure that it happens. So when that construction actually begins, we'll be out there taking a look at things and making sure that what was agreed upon is actually happening. So that's that's TQM in, in, in a nutshell. Um, it starts early on where we're, like I said, identifying the risks on those projects. Um, and as far as integration and pre-construction goes, I'd say that it's, it's a bit of a feedback loop where pre-construction um, focuses a lot on what we can build and where for an owner based off of what's available right now. That's, that's probably one of the bigger challenges. Um, so where quality uh, interacts with that in a lot of cases is if we are forced to make changes that the owner is okay with or the design team is okay with due to procurement problems, you know, that we're weighing on weighing in on what are some of the things we need to think about. Like what what is the impact of changing from one building wrap to another? Uh, what's an impact of changing from one type of pipe to another? Uh, you know, a lot of times you, you in this day and age, you are forced to make some of those changes, but you still have to follow your processes. Uh, on the pre-construction side, you know, those that part of our team is giving good feedback to our owners. Uh, and we're kind of giving a real real time feedback loop of let's make sure that we understand the consequences of those things. Um, and then also start thinking about the backside, you know, as, as procurement issues start to change where lumber's escalated and then de-escalated and you're getting everything you can at the same time so that it's there for you. And then that might change in, in a few months and we start seeing issues with having too much stuff on site where you need to protect it and then there's consequences for that. So uh, that's a part of the feedback loop that, that I think quality gets engaged with pre-construction to keep them sharp as to you know, what are the things we're recommending and what are the things that work and what are the consequences of making changes. So that, that's the main way I think we, we interact with pre-construction. Sure, and so TQM just really focuses on long-term success and just building that quality to create 
the most optimal value for your customers. And, you know, going off of that, you know, when it comes to the prep time for pre-construction, you know, what are some of the things that owners, contractors, and the design team that they need to think about in order to create uh, the best kind of operation? Well, they have to have a design that works based off of what materials are available. Uh, that's that's a big piece. Um, you know, I, I think for the most part, you're able to get what you need to build what you want. It's just a matter of what's the impact in terms of uh, you know, overall gaps based off of procurement problems. Um, I don't know that there's a whole lot that, that I would get too deeply involved in and figuring out what those products would be uh, on the front end planning. It's usually when things get proposed. At that point, it would be you know, a matter of asking us, like, well, what do we need to be thinking about there? Um, but really for the most part, I think owners have a lot of options still. Uh, it's just a matter of the timing and how much they're willing to pay for, for, you know, prices that have escalated. And, you know, John, uh, VCC works with just some really cool technologies. So, uh, I would love it if you could just take some time to talk about any specific technologies that you really enjoy using and, uh, the best ways that you can implement those into your workday. So on the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, our Endeavor portal is, is, is really good. It's really flexible. Uh, we use that as a web-based uh, portal for managing everything, daily diaries, contracts, expediting. Uh, I use that to track you know, action items that are either follow-ups from meetings that I run or from issues that I see on site. We use a lot of uh, like web-based apps um, like Multivista and Holobuilder, and, and we're looking at open space. Uh, there's a lot of benefits to each. They're, they're different, uh, but there's a lot of really good tools that are out there that, you know, are third party that we use. And then the in, internal ones are also great. Like I'm, I'm in, I'm in Bluebeam every day, a ton. Um, I really enjoy using the, you know, the BIM models that our, our DCI or our internal construction folks use. Um, you know, the benefits there are obvious, uh, where you've got a complicated project that has a lot of ins and outs, a lot of changing materials. Uh, we've got a model that anybody that just shows up on that job site can fly through that and, and really kind of jump through that process where you're looking at a 2D set of drawings and being able to make it 3D in your head, it's, it's done for you. So there's a lot of things that you can identify and work through um, that T you know, typically take a ton of time, you know, just to get familiar with a, like a, a multi-hundred set page of drawings. Now I'm, I'm able to just fly over to it and say, okay, I got it. And I, and I think our, our guys in the field benefit from that as well. Oh, absolutely. And uh, are there any technologies that you really enjoy uh, seeing implemented in the field or on site? Uh, our scanning, our laser scanning, I do. Uh, again, one that has just amazing benefits. We made the decision to, to go, go ahead and purchase some of those cameras, the, the 3D cams, uh, and take laser, laser point shots of concrete work and framing work, uh, identifying big issues that, you know, actually not always big, sometimes small, but identifying issues that you can correct now that would be incredibly difficult to correct later. So, and we, we, can, we can build a huge concrete structure that we're gonna base everything else upward on. And, and if there's an issue and we miss it, it becomes a huge challenge for everybody. But you catch it when it's just form work, and then you get that right, you've saved weeks 
of, of rework and, and headaches for everybody. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, John, so you're kind of speaking to some of the challenges that might potentially arise. So in your experience, you know, what are some common challenges that you see on uh, job sites in terms of quality? And uh, what can design and pre-construction do specifically in order to, you know, overcome these challenges maybe in a more productive way? So the biggest one, I think, is is pace of projects and then uh, qualified subcontractor supervision. And it's not just that subcontractors might not have, in all cases, qualified supervision. They might have enough, or they might not have enough to keep up with the pace of the project. Uh, so you can do a ton of front-end work, and you know we can we can have this great pre-installation meeting where we talk about what needs to happen and identify all these problems, and have a great plan, and then execute it perfectly eight out of ten times, and then something might change. You know, you might have a subcontractor foreman that leaves the job, or you might have a superintendent that, that needs to rotate to a different project in the last two times might still get messed up. So it, I think the the ability to like to, to stay focused through 100% of every scope is, is a real big challenge. Uh, you know, the the way to kind of overcome that is, is basically to use the tools. So we, we've, we've done a lot of stuff on the front end for reviews. We've done pre-installation meetings. We've built models. We've taken scans. When those things happen, those changes, those hiccups in the projects, if you can use those tools to refresh everybody to say, remember, like every single iteration of this is critical. We, you know, if we, if we do it 90% well, it's a failure. It's got to be 100% right. So use those tools at your disposal. Um, you get to a new job site and there's a model and there's meetings. Go back through that. Get fresh with it so that you know exactly where the landmines were and you know where the sub might have had challenges or you know where the architect might have changed something and did that make it to the drawings or did it not you know, th those are a lot of questions that that we have the answers to it's kind of like here's the answers to the test so let's let's use them throughout well you know uh john qc is one thing but since escalation is just out of control you know how do you balance these as competing interests so for the most part, we, we've always had a no substitution policy where we've always wanted to stick to the letter of the contract, plans and specs wise. Um, and, and we've we've been fairly successful with that over the years. It avoids a lot of risks. You, you give them what they ask for. Uh, we don't like to historically you know, offer alternatives because there's some risk that's associated with that. And these days, that's just not the same story. It's not as possible. So you're, you're going to present new products. The, the, the owners are demanding it. Design teams need it or the project dies because you can't, you can't stop a project for a month waiting for roofing to show up and then not be able to install drywall, right? And then everything is delayed. So you have to, in some cases, have to think about alternative products. That's fine. Um, I, I understand it. I think the industry understands it. But I think at the same time, where you balance it is you still have to implement the same procedures that you, you have in place to protect yourself, right? So if we have substitution protocols that we need to follow to make sure that, yes, you know, we're, we're reviewing these changes and we're, we're going to be forced to allow them a little bit more often, at the same time, you still have to be diligent and disciplined in applying the same procedures just more often now to make sure that you're vetting those changes. You know, so in a lot, of, a lot of times, you will get something proposed that does have impacts. Uh, you know, if you're changing from RCP pipe to a HDPE pipe, you should probably run in that through your civil guy because you're 
your bedding and all that is different. Uh, if you're changing air barriers, you need to understand that not all barriers are the same. Some let in more vapor, uh, you know, water vapor, and some let in less. So you can't just swap them out and assume that it's okay. Uh, you have to make sure that they're okay. So there, there's, a, there's several examples that are like that, but every, every product is slightly different. And if you're changing something drastically, uh, then you could have unintended consequences that, that hurts that building, so that long-term performance. So I think the answer is yes, you accept the reality of changing products, but you just have to double down on, on your procedures and your discipline to make sure that you're, you're vetting them each and every time. It's great advice. And, you know, John, I'd like to ask you, uh, because how can companies actually use uh, value engineering to keep within their budgets, but also keep from delivering poor quality projects? For, for me, I, I think you have to weigh each value engineering opportunity the same as you would a substitution. Uh, you have to, and we've seen it before, where effectively they're the, they're one and the same in a way. Uh, they're just for different purposes. The substitution is going to be typically for need, lack of availability, uh, maybe an inappropriately selected product that we're going to a different route. Whereas a value engineering item, you're you're changing just for cost savings. Um, now, as long as that product does not affect the performance of the building, the health of the building overall then it's, it's purely a design choice. It's an aesthetic choice or it's a potential cost savings choice because there might be an equal or better product that you can get cheaper because maybe it's locally available or you can get it a month faster because it's locally available. And then the, the money that you save in terms of your schedule vastly outweighs whatever the additional cost of that product is. Uh, so th there's, there's benefits to every substitution just like there is to every value engineering. But the process should be the same. The, you know, the, the value engineering items should be weighed carefully by the, the team members you have in place that you trust to make those decisions. And where I think you have some risk is if you have a team member that is being directed by an owner to use a product or, or make a change because it's going to save a big dollar number. And everybody's excited about that. The owner's excited about it. The design team is okay with it. And if you don't run it through your, your, your internal procedures, through my group, Don Calloway's group, the guys who maybe have more experience with those products just due to their roles, you might miss something that you know, ends up costing you more money than you're saving. You know, and I've seen that time and time again, where we save X dollars by making a change, only to find out that we have to spend that much or more later to compensate for something else that nobody foresaw. So just paying attention to, to what the implications are of the change is the key. That's the key. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us in studio today. That wraps up our conversation. It's my pleasure. If you'd like to learn more about VCC, please visit their website at vccusa.com and catch this podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts at. Thanks again.